Hey, welcome to the film room. This is your host, Matt, here, and I am very excited that you're joining me on this journey. Episode one, we're kicking it off. And I'm excited because I grew up as a giant horror fan. I just grew up watching all these movies. Basically grew up on the Friday the 13th and Halloween series, but then I kind of started dipping my toes into other franchises. I'm excited because we're going to be talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, I kind of have a funny personal story about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The original, 1974. I'm not doing the sequels quite yet. And something that's unique about my situation is that for a guy that has seen everything horror, I have a confession to make. My first actual viewing of the 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre was only three months ago. That sounds kind of crazy, right? Let me explain myself before you think I've lost all my credibility here. I've done plenty of research on the film. Obviously, I knew of the film. I've seen all the sequels. And for me, seeing all of the Halloween movies, all of the Friday the 13th movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, like multiple times. I've seen them 10 times, bare minimum, each movie that there's been made. I just felt like I needed to preserve, I guess, the freshness of this movie. Although I've seen clips, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I just, I didn't want to, I was waiting for the right moment. I even have a poster in my my basement and I'm like, man, that's not right. I haven't even seen it yet. But, you know, I finally was in my basement and I'm like, you know what? I don't have anything to do tonight. The wife is out with her friends. You know, my friends are busy. Why not? Let's just let's just pop it on. And, you know, I watched it and I I truly enjoyed it. It's 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 a masterpiece. And in this episode, I just kind of want to go through just some of the different elements of the film and just kind of how it was a pioneer for what became horror in Hollywood. I mean, if you think about it, this movie, when it came out in 1974, like people really, in the United States at least, hadn't seen something so polarizing. Obviously, there were Italian giallos that were pretty notable and famous in, in Italy. And you could you could say that the slasher film... The slasher subgenre within horror is, I don't want to say it's a ripoff, it's, it's a copycat of like the Italian giallo, but hey, whatever, We've, we, we Americanize everything, right? So, I mean, you can look at this movie from so many different angles and you can see the similarities that it has with the ones that come after it, you know, just thinking about like the inspiration that John Carpenter must have pulled from this film. You know, Sean S. Cunningham and Victor Miller for Friday the 13th. You know, even Wes Craven, I bet, was just taking notes, you know, for some of his future his future films. And, you know, when I was watching the movie, I just kept thinking to myself, what's one word to explain this movie? And the word I chose was uncomfortable. This movie made me feel uncomfortable. And not in, like, a way where it turned me off from the movie where I didn't want to watch it anymore but just just the environment and the atmosphere that Toby Hooper and the cast and crew were able to create in this film just made me feel uncomfortable but it made me want to watch it 
When I say uncomfortable, specifically I'm talking about you can see the Texas heat on these actors, right? They're sweaty. It looks miserable out there. Not to mention the the roadkill and just just some different visuals within the movie where it's I don't know, it's just so visceral. And you know, there's a scene where Pam stumbles into the home and she's seeing these shrines of, you know, made out of bones and and other body parts and it's almost like they focused on they they didn't they didn't cut away fast enough, so they forced the audience, they forced us to watch those parts. Like you would think like, wow, this is this is going on for a long time and it does. It it truly does, but I think that's what's what makes it effective. Now, before I kind of go into my different topics for this movie, I kind of want to talk about why I chose the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as the first film for the film room. And, you know, I was kind of going back and forth with myself thinking like, well, it'd be pretty easy to start with, you know, the original Halloween or uh, original Friday the 13th or, you know, something along those lines. Nightmare on Elm Street or Scream. I kind of wanted to start with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because for some reason I've always just had like a huge interest in those films even though like it's probably one of my least favorite of the slasher franchises not like I mean I'm still gonna watch them but I just think the sequels are all pretty poor I I do like the 2003 reboot that they made with like Jessica Biel but other than that I don't really I'm not the biggest fan of it so I'm like you know what let's get outside the box Let's start with something that we're a little unfamiliar with, and maybe it's not our cup of tea. But when I think about a slasher icon that would terrify me the most, it's Leatherface. And that's why I keep coming back to these movies. Because when I'm watching this, I'm truly terrified. You know, I'm not saying I'm not terrified of Michael Myers or or Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger, you name it. I mean, yes, I would obviously be terrified. There's something about the chainsaw like the 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 mask made out of human skin and just the element of it being kind of like backwoods and i mean god he he's a he's a hulking man and man he looks pretty fast when he runs with the chainsaw and i mean i'm not i'm no slouch i'm no i'm not slow but i don't know i i definitely feel like i would uh not be able to outrun this man he he seems not to run out of stamina yeah i kind of wanted to choose this movie just because it's fresh in my mind. You know, I just watched it for the first time. You no, know, I've also done my research online through blog posts, different articles, videos, and other podcasts. I love listening to other podcasts that are interested in the same stuff as me. So obviously I listen to that stuff too. Now, let's kind of start from the beginning. And I'm not talking about the beginning of the film. I'm talking like background, how this all kind of came together. And I'm sure if you guys... Are horror fans and if you're not and you're listening don't worry i'm gonna inform you on it but this was written and directed by toby hooper and toby hooper ended up having quite a prolific career in hollywood after this you know he went on to make funhouse which was another just that's another one i go back to that scares the shit out of me and then poltergeist he made the original poltergeist and then among other stuff uh and then he also had a co-writer kim hankel on this project as well and it does kind of i mean obviously it has like that low budget look to it but i feel like if it had like a higher budget it wouldn't have the same like effect that it does if that makes sense like i said when i said 
this movie makes me feel uncomfortable that's one of the elements where it is kind of grainy it is just kind of going with the flow and 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 you can tell that they're they're tired and they're sweating their ass off and yeah just it just seemed so real but anyways i was surprised to know that they can't really pin it down to like the exact amount but the budget for this film was between like 80 to 140 thousand dollars which i mean that's still a lot of money back then like if you adjust it for inflation i think it's around like seven hundred thousand dollars or so which i mean in today's standards yes that's also can probably considered low budget like i feel like now nowadays like you can't make like a feature film without shelling out a couple million but that just that's that's crazy that it was on such a small budget but i mean it just the returns were incredible on this film it was it's reported that they made approximately 31 million dollars off of that 180 to 140,000 dollar budget so yeah they definitely did well they definitely did well came away with their with their money which is really cool and like I said, it kind of was the the, the jumpstart for, for Toby Hooper's career. And I mean, this 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 movie is, I mean, it's considered one of the most influential and just a, a just a classic for horror. And just kind of like I said, like kickstarting the the slasher genre throughout the next like four. Oh my gosh, we're 50 years. It's been 50 years almost. But yeah, and you know, one thing that I kind of found was like right after this film. In the mid to late 70s, that's when you started getting more of those slasher type movies with Halloween, Friday the 13th, Prowler, Burning, I mean, the sequels that came with it. And then, you know, I I honestly feel like the 80s were just dominated by slasher movies and these icons. I mean, people went crazy for them. And then it kind of peaked in the 90s. I feel like it kind of went away for a few years. And then like we had Scream, Scream kind of reinvented horror if in the slasher and then the 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 first decade of the 2000s it was i'm sure you guys remember it was it was just like reboots and remakes and some of them were okay but it kind of died off after a while like i feel like in the early part of like between 2010 and 2015 there weren't as many and i mean maybe there was as many but there weren't as many that like were released in the theaters i guess i mean I feel like after they rebooted like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, House of Wax, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, it kind of died off for a bit. And I feel like the slasher genre was also kind of on the verge of extinction. I mean, as far as like feature films, like obviously, like if you go on Amazon right now, Amazon Prime, if you have it, or I mean, really anywhere, like there are so many just like low budget, like horror movies. I mean, they're easy to make. So a lot of these like first time filmmakers are are making them and Amazon or Netflix or whoever it is are buying them up cheap and 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 streaming them on their on their on their platforms. So what I meant by that is like it just seemed like the big 4 were kind of dying off and the, and and people were just looking for something new. And like Halloween and Friday 13, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and on Elm Street and then Halloween 2018 came into the picture. And then I feel like that kind of rejuvenated the pool of slasher films. And now I think for the next decade, we're going to see a lot of different projects coming through because the horror community is alive and well. The horror community is awesome. You guys are so supportive. And I mean, I've been in a lot of threads and having conversations with people and 
I mean, we can disagree on stuff, but I mean, nobody really gets nasty that I've come across. And you guys are awesome. You do the conventions. I haven't, I mean, I live so far away from where they would, would even have conventions that it would cost me a fortune to go out. But I think it's super cool. You know, like I said, you guys are like super supportive. And I I just think there there is a, there is a, a constant market there for slasher films moving into the future. And yes, I am kind of getting... I'm not going to say tired of, but just a little, it's a little bit of rinse and repeat with these same icons like Texas Chainsaw Mask or like Leatherface and uh, Jason and, and uh, Bill Myers. Like, I mean, honestly, for the next like Halloween movie, the Halloween ends was like the last one. Like they didn't make anymore, which folks, they're going to make more movies. That franchise is a cash cow. You can put, it's such a minimal budget that, I mean, and just by having that name, they're going to make money every single time they put that movie out. So it's not going to be the end. But if it was, I'd be fine with it. What did, what did we get it? I mean, we, we'd we have 15 or 16 Halloween movies we could go, go back and watch. I mean, geez, like even Friday the 13th has like 12 or 13 entries in it. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely looking for something new. I think I just want something like just new to come through. And there's, there, there's been some stuff that I've enjoyed that has come through. But I want something that kind of captures the American horror audience, some of these classics did, if that makes sense. So, all right. I don't want to go off on any more of a tangent on that because I could go go on for hours. So I'm going to get back at the task at hand here and talk more about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, I was also kind of surprised to see that it had like an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like that's like very high prestige for, I mean, a horror film and a film of, of of that age too like i feel i i honestly i thought i thought the number was going to be like 70 percent, you know and i don't i don't take i don't take rotten tomatoes rotten tomatoes as like gospel you know what i mean like i feel like some people do like oh yeah that movie's trash you know rotten tomatoes like the critics said it was they gave it a 30 percent rating and it's like come on guys like if you liked the movie like who cares you know what i mean but you know, I can watch a movie like there are plenty of movies where I can watch it and be like, oh, yeah, like I, that inter- that entertained me. I liked it because it entertained me. Was it a good movie? Yeah, not really. And then when I see the Rotten Tomato score, I'm like, yeah, that's about right. 40 percent, you know, 32 percent, whatever it may be. So, yeah, 89 percent is pretty, pretty amazing. I kind of want to move into the development of the film kind of the early stages of getting this thing together and basically the concept for this film started when toby hooper was working at a university in i think it was i think it was in austin texas and he was just a cameraman there and he was just kind of he kind of had like a a rough draft you know just kind of a bare blueprint of what he wanted to do he just knew that he kind of wanted to do something with a central location where the main cast might be isolated and with horror elements i know that he takes a lot of his inspiration from hitchcock you know the one who did psycho and the tagline of based on true events that actually kind of has an interesting backstory behind it so essentially if you guys don't know there's a ton of like research out there and just information that you guys can can dig up and find out about this but the based on true events is about the serial killer from the 1950s ed gein 
Uh, Ed Gein was a serial killer in Wisconsin, and I appreciate sure he was like an older man at that point, like 50s or something, 50s or 60s, and basically lived out in like rural Wisconsin, started killing people, and he kind of made stuff out of human body parts. So he'd make lampshades out of human skin, couches out of bones, among other things. I'm not sure if this is confirmed that he was a necrophiliac, but I think I think that's like a rumor that he might have been. So essentially the base on true events is about him but guys it's not it's not like there was he was wearing face of human skin and running around with the chainsaw killing young adults so that is definitely over exaggerated but it's funny because in some interviews where toby hooper has been they ask him about the base on true events uh he kind of talked about being lied to by the government about things that were going on, you know, in the United States, across the across the border, across the pond, and just said basically it was a it was kind of a statement of, well, you've been lied to. What's the difference with this statement? You're being lied to again. I think he was just kind of trying to make a statement with that. Just pretty interesting, I guess. And now you can kind of see that tagline is used like all the time now. Like and when I was younger, like real young, I was like, oh my God this is real like this actually happened i'm like this is this is insane and then you'd see him like i feel like in the early 2000s there were so many films where they would use that tagline and they basically use it as like a marketing ploy to like get butts and seats at the theater and naya naive young me was like oh yeah like i gotta see this if this was if this was real and you find out it's like either they they lied about it or it's so far from the actual truth let's move on to filming so they actually did film this in central texas which i appreciate because sometimes in certain films they give it a setting but they film in an area where the setting doesn't make sense because of the climate and the weather in that area so i like that because it really gave it a, it gave the feel of texas obviously the house that was filmed it i believe it's still standing i believe it's still still out there in central texas so that's also pretty interesting and, it, and it's nice that it's still it still stands because there there are some lo filming locations for like friday the 13th films uh, like the evil dead where they're like no longer there anymore or i think one of them like burnt down and uh, one was like demolished you know it's so it's nice that a piece of history like that is still standing. I kind of want to get into the film a little bit, the actual movie. And that beginning, opening credits, just the red coloring, the the sound of am, am I wrong? Is that like a like a like a camera like t like taking a picture or something or I don't know I don't know what the hell it is, but all I know is I always associate that noise with Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. So, I mean, it scares me shitless. <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing how the opening credits can just really pull you in right away. And it's quite frightening. You know, when I mentioned that the, the movie makes me feel uncomfortable, like the opening shot when they're driving on the highway, I mean, you see roadkill right away and pretty disgusting. But yeah, you kind of start with these young adults in, uh, in a van cruising, cruising across Texas. You have 
have Sally Hardesty, played by Marilyn Burns, who this is her most famous role. And she did some cameos, actually. She did a cameo in The Next Generation and also in Texas Chainsaw 3D. And I actually think she passed away not too long after that movie. So rest in peace. And then you got Jerry, who is Sally's boyfriend, the one behind the wheel. That's Alan Danzinger. Franklin Hardesty, who is Sally's brother and he's actually uh, in a wheelchair in this film that's played by Paul Partain. Paul Partain actually uh, ended up passing away in I believe 2004, 2005 from from cancer so uh, rest in peace. And then we have Pam played by Terry McMinn and we also have Kirk who is Pam's boyfriend played by William Vale. So they're basically going uh, just down the hall, the highway. They pass a cemetery. Then they end up like stopping not too far from when they pass the cemetery because uh, Franklin had to take a whiz, which I could understand might be a little difficult being that there are no wheelchair accessible bathrooms around. So he actually had to have Kirk help him out and uh, put him on the side of the road. And I mean, one of the most unbelievable things ended up happening, I guess, with the semi driving by, there was such a large wind gust that it blew him uh, into the field. So uh, a little bit of slapstick type comedy there. I think they're trying to loosen up the audience, kind of loosen the mood with some with some laughs there. But they end up getting him back into the van and uh, they're driving down the highway. They're kind of talking about what they're going to be doing. And essentially, you find out that Sally and Franklin ha- have a-, a homestead that their their grandfather owns. And they want to go out there and, and see the land. Because I think when they were younger, they ended up spending time out there. So they kind of know the area. And they just kind of want to go out there and, and hang out. Well, on their way, they end up uh, passing somebody who I would never pick up well first off i would never pick up a hitchhiker like in general because isn't it like illegal to pick up hitchhikers anyways but also like i i understand doing a good deed but at the same time like is it worth it if they could kill you (laughs) I, i don't know maybe that's just like my irrational mind coming into play but anyways they pick this guy up and he is just doing weird stuff in that van and this is another point where i'm just feeling so uncomfortable because he's like showing them his like knives he's showing them some of his like the skins that he's made and he's just talking crazy oh and then he has a uh, a camera and he wants to to take a picture and he ends up taking a picture and he 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 tries to charge them for it which is kind of hilarious but the 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 entire time like all right dude this guy's gonna snap at some point what happens next he ends up cutting his own hand i believe and then he asks for franklin's hand and he cuts his hand like a normal person would (laughs) that if franklin freaks out everyone in the van freaks out they they kick him out and as they're driving away he like rubs his like blood on the back side of the van like marks it with an x and basically the crew is on their way to a gas station they got to fill up because they're running low on gasoline and franklin points it out which hey props to you franklin he points out the x the bloody x on their van and says he, i mean he's all he's all paranoid and he's like do you think that do you, do you think this guy marked us or something and Kurt pam's boyfriend like laughs him off you know little old franklin was right though <laughs> he he did mark them because we'll find out later that he he's working with the guy at the at the gas station they're in on this stuff together it's his brother i think it's his brother it's a cook 
the cook it the well the the credits give uh the hitchhiker i think it's like it's literally just the hitchhiker is his credit at the end of the movie and then i don't even think i have my notes here i'm just looking what do they give him oh it's, drayton sawyer is the one at the gas station but like late and later like the the sequel he's called like the cook so i just call him the cook but i think they're brothers i don't think that's his dad i don't know shit's confusing so yeah they're in there find out that there is no gas so they'll have to come back later when the trucks come and fill up their tanks so they decide to just drive off to the house that their grandfather still owns used to own it's abandoned i don't know so yeah they get there and franklin's kind of feeling bad for himself and not indulging with them because they're just kind of going wild in the in the house and this is kind of like right on the edge of where things start to go a little crazy so franklin wheels his way in there comes across the group and they come back outside and i think he was like looking for his pocket knife and he was wondering if somebody took it from him and he was upset about it but pam and kirk were next to franklin and they were hot right i mean it was super hot out that day and franklin mentioned that there is a water hole and he there oh there used to be a water hole i should say points in the direction of it well folks this is where stuff starts to go down they get there there's no water hole it's it's bone dry it's there's nothing there however they do see a house and they hear a generator and kirk the the light bulb above kirk's head goes oh they have gasoline so they approach this house and you could kind of tell that Pam is just kind of like not sure about the situation. I don't know if things are different in the 70s where you just walk on people's property and into their homes. Like, I mean, he did announce himself, but like, I think it's crazy that he just kind of walked into somebody's random house. So anyways, doesn't see anybody outside. Pam sits on a swing out by the a tree in the front yard and he's kind of just looking in the house through screen door doesn't see anybody calling out nobody answers so what does he decide to do he decides to walk in smart right no not really he walks in he comes across this big metal door uh and eventually we get our first on-screen victim here and mother face pops out first appearance and strikes down at kirk's face with a mallet and he is done gonzo so time has passed pam is getting antsy and she decides she's gonna walk towards the house and this is that iconic shot so if you guys have seen this movie it's 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 the rolling shot where she's she's coming off the swing and the the video camera is following her from behind and kind of like really low really it was a really cool shot it's pretty iconic from the film and she's calling for her boyfriends and she's not hearing anything so she investigates but she doesn't go towards the door she takes a left turn and falls into to a pit of bones well i shouldn't say she falls into a pit of bones she like falls down into a living room that has a bunch of bones so kind of like a pit of bones but she doesn't like fall to a pit of bones whatever blah so this was a scene i was referencing earlier in this episode where she's just kind of looking around at all the different bone statues and just figures that were created and she's just kind of in shock and it's a scene that goes on for an uncomfortably long time and that's what I was talking about when it makes you feel uncomfortable, but that's how it is effective because they overdo it. They overdo the shot. They over they overdo the sound. They over and and, it, and it's really really fast cuts to her 
and to what she's seeing. So you're looking at her face and you're looking at the terror on her face and then you're looking at what she's looking at. I mean, you could almost get dizzy watching that scene. So she eventually gets up and she tries running out and Leatherface pops out. He runs after her and she was oh so close to getting out. Gets out on the front front porch but he ends up uh, grabbing around her waist and pulling her back in and uh, unfortunately Pam was thrown onto a meat hook and well I shouldn't I don't think she died right there because we definitely see her again I think this is the point where we see Leatherface kind of have a mental breakdown and it's kind of showing the like who this person is he's kind of he's he's throwing stuff around it's either it's either this kill or the next kill either way i want to talk about it but he's throwing a tantrum because he doesn't know who these people are these they're random people they're they're in his all he knows is that they're in his home and they're not supposed to be in their home and he feels threatened i'm not saying what he's doing is right whatsoever i'm just saying he has the mind of a he's a man child he has the mind of a child but he's in this hulking body and he's dangerous and he you can you can it almost looks like he's showing like remorse because he throws this tantrum he's throwing things around and then he he sits down he sits down on something he just he just lets out like you know a big sigh and kind of like oh, what have i gotten myself into or like, what is going on so it's kind of interesting to dissect that part of the film because like i said you know i've never seen it before and i've just watched reviews read a bunch of stuff on it and i feel like i've never really heard anyone talk about that scene which I was kind of surprised. I don't know if I'm looking into it too much, but I thought it kind of revealed a lot about the character and just about just the state of mind that the, that character is in. Because if you think about it, does it really make sense with the marking that the hitchhiker leaves on the on, on the van? And obviously we can assume that they've done this before to other people. So if it's like a ploy that they have going, then wouldn't Leatherface be used to people random people being brought back to the house for him to kind of deal with possibly i don't know maybe he was freaking out because that's not that that's not the way it usually works maybe he's uh he wasn't expecting that stuff who knows i'm probably reading into it too much but i kind of wanted to share it with you guys because i thought it was interesting but let's move on so we cut back to the remaining three of the original group and we got jerry sally and franklin and it's starting to get dark they're honking the horn they're yelling pam and kirk's name they want to get out of there they want to they want to go fill up the, the van and, and get to where they want to go basically they don't hear anything sally and and jerry kind of have a conversation of what they're going to do and jerry's going to go out looking for him and sally wanted to go with him but jerry told her no and convinced her that he'll just go by himself which bad move jerry bad move i really like the shot that they had in this in this scene where he's kind of walking towards the house and you see you see the sun the sunset and it's, it's kind of an orange orange looking color and it's <laughs> it's basically jerry walking into his demise as the sun's setting so he walks in he's knocking on the door kind of kind of the same routine as the others right standing at the screen door yelling for their names and he ends up getting in but he gets in the furthest than it like he gets in like more than anybody else so he walks in that large metal sliding door is open and he walks right through and he's kind of in the meat cooler section of where Leatherface likes to hang out and he opens up a cooler or a cooler <laughs> a freezer and Pam pops out and so she's still alive at that point but she's definitely she's definitely dead at the end of this film 
startles him. And as he tries to leave, basically Leatherface gets him with a hammer again, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, he kind of dismantles those three pretty quick. Now it's like pitch black outside. We're cutting back to Franklin and, and, and uh, Sally, and they're arguing on what they should do with the flashlight. They want to go. Eventually, they go together and they're looking. And honestly, this is like the biggest jump scare for me. She's pushing Franklin through the woods and they hear something, some like cracking of the st- of sticks and he pops out and he kills Franklin, unfortunately. <sighs> and basically, the next like 10 minutes of the movie is just Leatherface chasing Sally around which, I mean, it's terrifying. Like I said, like <laughs> watching that guy run with the chainsaw is like, holy smokes. Imagine how fast he would be if he didn't even have a chainsaw. But it's it, it's it's pretty scary. Eventually, she makes her way back to the gas station where she bumps into the cook or Drayton Sawyer, thinking that he's going to lend a helping hand. And she's wrong. She finds out that he's in on it and he basically ties her up, puts her in the truck. They start driving back. And at this point, right, she, he starts driving back, back towards the house. At this point, you see the hitchhiker in front of him. And then you find out that he is part of the family and he's in on it. So they're going to the house and believe this is the start of just mass hysteria and just insanity in this movie. It's hard to watch because they're basically like torment. They're... They, they put her at the dinner table and Leatherface has got, I don't know, some type of cross-dressed face on. The family is like arguing with each other and yelling at each other. And it, it's like another scenario where she's like screaming. Honestly, I thought she was going to turn into the Hulk because her eyes look so green in some of those shots. <laughs> some of you might know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it just went on for so long. And and in my mind, I'm just like, and let me explain myself on this because in my mind, I've never wanted like somebody to get out of the situation more in like a horror movie. And I'm always rooting for the final girl, right? Like always. But this was definitely a scenario where I'm like, can this all just please stop and get this poor girl out of this house? Because it's starting to bother me and make me feel uncomfortable. They they say grandpa's the best and they bring grandpa down and he's apparently still alive, even though he looks like he's 150 years old and they want him to kill her, but he's too weak and he's trying to hit her with a mallet, but keeps missing and it's it's such it's such an uncomfortable scene because they're like holding her there like over a bucket and he's missing but he's slamming the bucket and she's like screaming and eventually she gets loose and this is where she like jumps out the window and she uh well maybe she doesn't jump out the window on that scene i don't know she gets out and this is the the final part of the film where she runs out into the street she's getting chased by the hitchhiker and 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 leatherface semi driver stops and well first he kills the hitchhiker he runs him over and then he gets out leatherface is chasing them he just keeps running and eventually a truck shows up and he gets sally gets into it eventually gets into it i mean she's almost caught by leatherface but what happens is the chainsaw clips his leg and he gets hurt from it and the ending is just it's just so much insanity like she's driving away she's covered in blood she's screaming maniacally and then she like shifts into like laughing which is and then you're just like wow yeah this no this girl's messed up for life and then it goes back and leatherface is doing his thing doing his little dance and going crazy in the middle of the road and then uh we go to credits 
<laughs> yeah, that was just kind of a quick run through of the movie. And I just, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, Gunnar Hansen, the one who played Leatherface, like he does such a good job of just being like an imposing force that I, I see that in my nightmares, I feel like. And there have been a lot of sequels where they've tried, they've had obviously other actors in the Leatherface role. But I don't think they have the same impact that he has. He just was so scary. He was just so scary. And honestly, to me, the only one who even comes close is, and this is going to be kind of weird, but Texas Chainsaw 3D, Dan Yeager. I feel like he, like he was terrifying. And mostly because he had the same build as Gunnar Hansen. So he, he looked the most like the original. Yeah, it was quite... <laughs> quite terrifying obviously with this movie being such a success it spawned a bunch of sequels but the first sequel didn't come out until like 1986 i mean that's 12 years you know i'd gone by but then it was you know one after another i think another one came out in like the night and or two came out in the 90s and then there was two reboots in the first decade of the 2000s and there's been like three or four in the past like 12 years so yeah they definitely there's definitely not a lack of quantity for the for these films but you know with every film, you gotta have something like th talk about. There, there's a there's a controversy a little bit when this came out, and the controversy was violence against women. And some people took issue that the men in these films were disposed of like really quickly, like mallet to the head, done, like very fast. Yet Pam, on the other hand, was hung up on. A, well, first she had to endure whatever the hell was going on in the living room with all the bones and then we had to watch that and then it transitioned to her being hung on a hook and then watching Leatherface chop up her boyfriend and then she's still alive and she's just kind of suffering and then obviously everything that was happening with Sally where she's like captured and she's tormented and there there people took issue with the women being subjected to that type of abuse compared to the men but it's kind of the final girl trope where they kind of go through hell at the end so that they can come out on top. You know, I kind of see where they're coming from a little bit. I don't know. At the same time, like there are so many movies out now. And I feel like definitely in the last like decade, it's been more common where there's like no longer like a man and a woman at the end. Like, it's, it's only, like, the final girl. Like, I feel like in the 80s, like, they started kind of having, like, a love interest surviving together at the end. But now it's, like, like, girl power and they don't want, they want to show that they don't need a man to survive that scenario or that situation. Which I get. I mean, there's definitely some that are, like, really interesting and empowering, like, really cool. So I get where they're coming from. It's not like it gets any better, right? Throughout the, the rest of the decade. And I mean, geez, and going into the 80s and 90s, right? Like even think about Halloween. I mean, we'll get to that franchise eventually or that movie eventually. But think about even Halloween where Bob is basically dismantled real quick. And then Linda is like strangled to death. Like mm, kind of have a point there, but whatever it's up to interpretation yeah i don't know if i have much else to add about the texas chance i'm asking i would recommend it i think that's like one of the last things i want to talk about is i just i recommend it i think it'd be a really good movie if you know you're into slasher films and you kind of want to dip into like the originals and just watch something interesting also watch like history being made basically and it is a pioneer for the slasher films so 
definitely if you get some free time watch it on a scale of one to ten i'd say i'd give it a seven i think it's a solid seven i don't i don't think it's in like eight nine ten range just because of budget reasons but you know that's kind of you know you got to work with you got to work with so i think it's a seven i think it's pretty solid so if you get a chance definitely go and watch it but in the future i think i'm gonna cover the sequels because i've seen them all and like i said i still enjoy the sequels but they're pretty blah so but yeah i just kind of wanted to give out a little bit more information about the film room and you know what i'm trying to do so i'm i'm going to be the original host of this right but i also want to make sure we get some different voices on this podcast so you guys don't get tired of hearing me talk only and get tired of my voice so i'm gonna try to get some guests on here you know some of my buddies that are into these movies are different people that have the same interests as me i kind of want to get people on here that have like different perspectives on films so that it's more there's more of like a topical discussion to have about those movies so whenever i have those episodes i'm going to put it in the title that there's a guest so that you guys know so look forward to that but i'm definitely going to still do the ones where it's just kind of me going through the history of film, background of the film, the kind of like a synopsis of the film, kind of talk about some of the characters, some different viewpoints, notable things, and just kind of my overall thoughts on how it impacted horror moving forward. We're definitely going to do some of those. And I've been kind of thinking about what I should do as far as like choosing my next episode. Because I mean, I was kind of just gonna do it at random i didn't want to do it franchise by franchise because i feel like i would just kind of get burnt out if i did that you know like if i had to do like six texas chainsaw massacre movies in a row i would probably be like okay i am done i do not want to do this anymore it would just it would become more like work than it would be like a hobby and like fun for me and i want to do this because well i'm kind of doing it for my myself for selfish reasons because this is a passion project for me but I'm also doing it for you guys because I know how much you guys enjoy this. I enjoy the podcast that I listen to and, and, and the quality and the value that they put into it. So I want to make sure that I'm also providing that to you guys. And I really hope that you guys are enjoying this content. Obviously, over time, I'm going to continue to improve. So bear with me here. But I created a Facebook page and it's called The Film Room. You can find the logo and that's the one. And I'll probably link it in the podcast or the episode description. But, you know, I'd really appreciate if you guys went there, gave it a follow or a like, and just started some conversations, started just kind of a, like a fun community and just just have a bunch of conversations because I want to I want to start adding posts in there. You know, I'm going to be posting my episodes in there. I'm going to be posting just like food for thought type of stuff. And just I want to interact with you guys. I, I, I'm doing this for, for my fans. I want to I want to be able to talk to you guys. I want to be able to to interact with you guys and then you know like i said i kind of want to have you guys dictate some of the movies that i do so i'm thinking of doing like polls on facebook so if the way if you're a listener but you want to you want to make sure that you're listening to the movie that you want to you got to make sure that you're on the facebook page so that you can vote on the poll for the next movie so i think i'm going to kind of go that route for a while and see how that works yeah i don't know i don't think i have much else i I, I'm excited to to continue this and to have a bunch of fun doing it. And, you know, like I said, this has been a passion project of mine forever, honestly. I mean, I grew up loving these movies and I used to just, <laughs> I used to write 
like three page stories and you know i've always just kind of had a creative side for stuff like this so in my free time if i'm able to do stuff like this it's it's definitely worth it and if and if you if you guys find value in it then it's it's even more worth it that that's the whole thing about it is like if i'm getting my own value out of it and you guys are too then we both win so i am going to sign off but i will see you soon <laughs>